welcome to the 55 and 5 podcast. I'm your host, Roxy, and in today's edition, I'm joined by Worksighted. Worksighted are a North American IT managed services company who take a refreshing approach to IT services and Microsoft technology. Their brand focuses on meeting people where they are, focusing on customers' problems, and the solution Worksighted can deliver, all in a friendly, simple, and approachable manner. We're talking today about hybrid working and if it's here to stay. And joining me on the podcast are Rebecca and Adam. <laughs> Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Adam. Thanks for joining us on the 55 and 5 podcast. It's great to finally have you with us here. Um, I feel like I have to say this in every podcast, but it's been a, a year full of disruption for many businesses. So I'm curious to know how has um, life and work changed for you and work excited? Yeah, well, um, a ton. I was just talking um, with Adam before this, and we um, were trying to figure out what remote work would look like at Worksighted um, a couple weeks before um, the pandemic started. And we were kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe each employee can work, you know, two days a month remotely and have some flex time that way. And that seemed a bit generous. Um, and then I think it was March 15th hit, and we all went into lockdown and pretty much 100% of our workforce went to work work remotely. And we had to try to figure out like, what are the essential positions that need to be in the office and which ones can flex and work from home. Um, and it was a rapid, rapid <laughs> decision, but um, yeah, there's there's a lot of benefits of it that we've, that we've found and excited to continue to see what, what life is gonna look like. Yeah, our leadership was, uh, it's kind of weird. It almost feels like a lifetime ago now, right? It's like when we yeah. look back at early 2020, what, how exactly long was that? You know, it feels like a few years, uh, but then it just flew by at the same time. Um, we, we started using Teams and, and um, kind of collaborating and getting information together and starting to prepare, but our plans were, you know, much more... Um, basic compared to what happened like all of a sudden now everybody needs to work remotely well it's interesting too i feel like remote used to be um like i said like something that's generous or like a benefit but then it became mandatory and so mm -hmm. um it went from being something like you get excited and looking forward to and it's like oh you know now my new co-workers are my kids and my dogs and <laughs> i never leave the house and so just figuring out how life looks like um when you're in your house 24 7 was such a transition and easier for some than others yes <laughs> uh and what's the sentiment like felt uh, across the team or how how did people react to just going home for well i think Initially, it was it was kind of uh, everybody was in this survival mode or this kind of like we're in it together. We're just going to do what we need to do and let's scramble to figure things out. We were very very busy as a company right right when that happened because um, a lot of companies had to make changes to accommodate right. Everybody we were in the same boat as everyone else where they had to figure out how to get work done right. That was the first challenge is how do we still function as a business and adapt our workloads and our ability to stay keep the lights on. For us, uh, that part was the easier part. We had already had several remote workers, um, people that were full-time remote, you know, working out of state even prior to that. And our workload and the, and the type of work that we do, or at least a big percentage of it, was pretty easy to do remotely or to adapt. Like we were able to just send virtually 100% of the company to work remotely 
uh, within days and still keep functioning. In fact, have um, record days in terms of our support uh, load and, and um, uh, ticket load, for example, because we had to help companies to implement things like getting everybody a laptop and getting VPN hooked up and connected and making changes to their system to accommodate, you know, going from maybe 10% of their workload working remotely to 90 or 100% of their, their workforce working remotely. So once we got through that phase, then all of the other things started kicking in and, and hitting like the, the bigger, longer term ramifications of this change. Well, and I would say too, it's not just that we had to help our customers do that. Like we had to do that. Some of our employees didn't have laptops. Some of our employees didn't have like, you know, a strong enough home network that they could do work. Like I had to set up, you know, a new router to make sure that it reached my um, office that I was working in, which was also my son's nursery. Um, but some of those changes of figuring out like, okay, this person only has a desktop in the office. So does he just bring that all home? And is this change going to be for two weeks, a month? So it was yeah. just constantly like reworking all of these plans. Like we had this document of, you know, when we were going to get back to work. And at first we thought it was going to be in June and then it was September and then it was December. And then now it's been a full year and we're um, like still in lockdown basically here in Michigan. So that was um, a big, yeah. that was a big, um, I, I think it's a really good point, Rebecca, that there was a big mental shift once people realized, hey, wait a minute, this isn't going to just be for a few weeks, right? Exactly. A lot of people were stuck in the mindset of like, well, what do we need to do to just do a temporary fix, to a short by. term, just to get mm -hmm. by until life gets back to normal, right? That was the big thing is how, yeah. what do we do for now until life gets back to normal? And then it didn't take long, a few months in, a few weeks, depending on, you know, where you were at and it was like, wait, there's a new normal that we have to adjust to now. There's a new uh, reality that we're going to have to adapt our business and in our own personal lives around. So it, it was a pretty monumental shift once that really struck home for people. And Adam, you mentioned uh, working with your customers and, and, you know, and understanding the challenges that they face. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, what you found uh, were those challenges and how you work with them to obviously overcome those challenges that they faced? Yeah, there's it's an interesting question because there's a couple different layers there, right? There, one is the technical most base. How do we still get work done? Um, but there were distinct differences in organizations there as well, because um what we start to look at is like maturity of digitization of their business processes so um you know it was interesting in that the changes either highlighted problems that they already had or showcased strengths for changes that they had made right that there are unexpected benefits of platform adoption of adopting cloud software and cloud platforms for example um one example is that we had some companies uh, come to us and essentially ask if there was software that they could install that would track if people are doing their job or not. And it's like, well, no, the short answer is no, right? That's not really what software can do, but that really isn't the real problem here. The issue is that if you can't tell if people are doing their job, you had that problem before, but you just assumed that if people punched in and sat in chairs and they looked busy, then they were being productive. But they lacked the means, the organization lacked the means to evalu evaluate productivity and evaluate you know, work output. They didn't have good assignment and work management. And that was a pretty strong indication that 
their digitization of their work was immature and their software ecosystem wasn't really well molded to their needs. They hadn't really, they didn't really live in the digital workspace. And so those organizations struggled a lot more because they were, they had to now not only enable people to work from home, but they had to change a lot of their work processes to be able to be compatible with this virtual organization model rather than a physical in-person organizational model. So if you had to both change your ability to collaborate and communicate with your coworkers and your customers, all, and also had to make big changes to the way that you did work as a company, um, that was a kind of a double punch versus just focusing on one of those areas. And just to add on that a little bit, it's definitely highlighted where people have um, been proactive about how they've managed their IT. So, and we call it like their journey to the cloud or their digital transformation. If you had a strong um, foundation coming into the pandemic, it was a lot easier to deploy um, the apps and software that you needed to be productive virtually. Um, if you haven't, <laughs> then we were working with customers to rapidly get them to that place where they could store documents in the cloud or they could deploy my Microsoft Teams or um, some clients didn't even have Office 365 yet. And so um, figuring out where they were in their journey and then how to get them, get them to that next step um, to be able to empower them to be able to do good work remotely. Yeah, and I think some of the best um, orgs out there looked at this and said, how can this become a competitive advantage for us, right? If we can figure out how to work and um, succeed in accomplishing whatever our goals are in this world, that means that we need to adopt a better digital customer experience, a better digital employee experience. And if we can do those things, then that can be a competitive advantage for us. Not, not that where we're just surviving through this, but that we can come out the other side or or thrive through this, these challenges that people are facing. And it, and it did, I think, um, reward the organizations that are most flexible um, and had you know adoption of these types of tool sets in place. And that brings us quite uh, nicely into hybrid working and uh, the companies obviously that only now have started to talk about hybrid working. So I just wanna know in your opinion, cause we're talking about hybrid working constantly. So what is it in your opinion and um, why is it so important for growing businesses to adopt this hybrid working uh, model? Yeah, well, um, really base level hybrid working would be when you've got some people in the office, some people remote, um, any mixture of those. So for example, right now I'm in our offices in Holland, Michigan, and Adam is working remotely from home. So how do we do work and um, together collaboratively when we're in these different spaces? So previously you might've had been able to pull everybody into the same conference room and say, hey, let's have a brainstorming session. This is a great example of, of how hybrid work has um, needed to shift and change. So how do you bring people into that conversation in a way that doesn't create, this is a term Adam uses all the time, um, second class meeting participants. So either you lose people that are in the room because they're not able to collaborate as well online, or you lose people online and they're not able to contribute the same in the same way. And so that's where, um, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but technology can really help bridge that gap and enable people to um, be able to work in that, um, in that environment um, even better than maybe they would be if they were all in the same room. So we don't want to just settle for something that's, you know, you're sacrificing X, Y, and Z. Um, hopefully technology can bring us to a point where actually 
um, goes beyond that and provides provides more value to the conversation, more value to the to the collaboration. Yeah, and I think we have to acknowledge that for some organizations, um, the percentage of their work that can be done remotely is higher than others, right? So mm -hmm. uh, there are certainly a lot of businesses out there where a significant part of their workload has to be done in person, right? Whether we're talking about retail or some aspects of manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. So, but even then it's still, there's a matter of like how, how much does what you do in the real world reflect into your kind of digital copy of yourself, right? That's, that's where you're, when you're, you're looking at organizations now, uh, especially ones that are primarily remote, it's like there's this new entity, virtual entity, the building itself is not the organization, right? It was just a shell for the, the company to kind of work in. And what's that digital shell that kind of represents the, the workspace and how the company can collaborate with each other. Uh, and I think that's where um, even when you have some roles and for us, there are things that we have to do that, that um, where we have to be in the office, like uh, setting up a, a PC in some cases or installing new physical equipment and having our onsite engineers go to uh, onsite locations and, and troubleshoot or install new equipment. But um, the, the larger bulk for us of what our actual workload is or the way that we interact is is primarily remote. And it was almost easier initially when, when everyone first went remote and everyone was at home, everyone was working in the same sort of model of like, I've got a webcam, I've got my laptop, I've got you know, a headset or speaker or whatever. And we're all in the meeting in that same way. And when people started going, some people were in the office, it actually was like harder because it was like, wait a second, I'm either sitting in my cubicle or my space and I'm on a meeting and my coworker is like two cubicles over and they're in the same meeting, or we have to have some effective collaboration space in the building where we can kind of bridge the online participants and the people that are commonly in one physical area. And, um, you know, that gets into a whole other topic of like conference room technology, but effective, easy to use conference room technology of kind of marrying these physical collaboration spaces to our virtual collaboration spaces was so critical. There's some more reticent clients, right, that yeah. have a hard time even adopting Microsoft Teams, as you said. So how did they, how, was there a convincing process um, mm -hmm. going on behind the scenes to get them to also adopt hybrid working? Or did you have to do something different to those clients or for those clients to sort of be more open to hybrid working? Because hybrid working is here to stay for a while at least. Yeah, I think... Um, there are some of it is self-evident, right? And it and it became more self-evident for many organizations sooner than others. And some of them almost had mental blocks around like I they don't want to believe this in a way. Um, so for us, some of it was modeling, right? We we were able to pivot to a hybrid and to a, a remote environment and and do things like get advantages like being able to hire employees from out of state and expanding our 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 uh, search for for new team members. And that's something that people saw our ability to kind of model, hey, this is the best way to be able to embrace these challenges. Um, in some cases, it came out of a, a need to thrive or survive in the marketplace, and they saw competitors doing things that they were not doing, um, or just eventually they they came around to the mindset. So 
you know, having the conversations and describing and talking about a, a future that, hey, making these changes isn't just like a, a short term pain and a cost until you can get back to how you were before, but that if you do these things that actually would improve your future anyway, right? Like this, it's not, this investment is not something you're throwing away. It's an investment in your future, no matter what. And having those conversations and kind of painting that vision for the future uh, was really the most effective way. And for some companies, it just, it takes a little time before uh, those things really settled in. But most, our clients, um, for the most part, you know, have been fantastic to work with through this and, and have challenged us as, as much as we've challenged them as well. And I think it's been so interesting, like I've, like how much opportunity has come out of of this intense disruption period. So, painting a picture of of what is possible, people grabbing a hold of that, and then being able to implement some things that really change how they do business. I think um, the team's voice offering was one that was big on that. Adam and I did a webinar on it, and all of a sudden, we had a ton of interest from our clients of like, yeah, how do we move our phone system off-prem? Because we've always been in the same building and you press number two for Sally and you get accounting. Um, but if you're not in the office, like how does that work? And so that's like a very tangible example of something that had to be rethought. And then bringing that into Teams also then creates this, um, the term we like to use is base of operations where it's one spot. I don't have to have a different app on my phone in order to call someone. And then I have to remember to have it open and then the voicemail's in a different spot. Like all these different things, like bringing them into one place creates an ease of use for your employees. Um, the other thing that's been interesting too, that's now possible is interacting through teams with our clients and with our vendors. Like we've got an awesome teams channel with 55 and five that we can go in there and quick um, chat or comment on things that empowers us to do work quicker. And that's what this is all about um, is figuring out what is possible and being able to communicate that. So from a marketing perspective, we've done that through um, webinars and blogs and content that have helped our customers see see what is possible. So we've done um, a webinar on hybrid working spaces, collaboration spaces, Teams Voice, a rapid rollout of Teams, um, a ton of the stuff to bring our, our clients into this conversation of how um, technology can help us um, help us adapt and hopefully work better. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's changed social norms too, right? Like, I, I'm not a behavioral psychologist, but there's definitely a lot of ways that this has impacted our culture and behaviors. And I, I, I would look at it almost as like a distribution curve where the majority of like business interactions were in person, face to face for most organizations. And now we've shifted to, and, and in that space, even when people were working remotely or they had to jump on a conference call, it was like a pain point. And we almost resented those people a little bit like, oh, I got to get the conference phone out and dial uh... into the print. And they're like, what's that? I, you know, it was just a painful experience. And and their face um, is so big on the screen. You're like, why? Yeah. Ew, it's just, yeah, you can exactly. see too much. No. Move away. Move away. <laughs> but then when we went, you know, to this model where all of a sudden like that's the default norm, right? And now, I think face-to-face -face meetings are seen as still like a high value. You you roll that out for really important things, you know, and you try to still have those face-to-face -face meetings at, at times. But now we've shifted to where the social norm um, is an online meeting or a hybrid meeting. And I think that's actually overall a, a good thing, right? It helps bring more inclusiveness. It, it helps level the playing field for those who are um, in a, in a, 
disadvantaged state from a physicality standpoint, whether that's because they're dealing with young kids or they're out of state or whatever the case may be. It's made businesses realize we need to um, elevate our ability to effectively collaborate regardless of where we are physically. And then that helps you to be able to interact with your customers that way potentially too. But it's a new set of skills because certain people were really good at like meeting in person and like creating a great impression, right? So now you have to develop skills of like meeting virtually and creating a good impression and getting your point across and being able to have a you know an effective um, connection with somebody over a, a video call, for example. So the ability to use platforms like create effective short PowerPoint presentations or to create diagrams and visualizations or create material to help you know drive your points and your pitch home, whether this is on the sales side or customer relationship side. It's like there's a whole new toolbox of skill sets that people need to develop because, you know, like a a, a firm handshake and a, a endearing smile aren't enough necessarily anymore. No, you have to be camera ready uh, these days as well and have <laughs> camera etiquette as well. Um, yeah, exactly. I think there's a larger conversation to be had about Microsoft Teams, which we will have. But before we get there, I just really want to um, sort of discuss a little bit uh, a couple of things around security um, and security challenges, especially for remote workers, because I'm pretty sure you're being asked by your customers. So could you touch upon the security challenges that you know customers are facing these days? Yeah, I think. Um... First off, security is a pretty large topic in a lot of ways, right? So there, there are definitely some challenges to summarize, but there were some immediate impacts for things like um, VPN connectivity, more people utilizing personal devices. And um, because if organizations didn't adopt platforms that allowed the employees to do certain things that they now needed to do, they would go out and just adopt their own software to do it. So whether that's meeting software, cloud file storage, cloud file sharing. Um, you know, that that was a big fundamental challenge to was changing the way that that people were connecting into the business systems. But those challenges were were kind of there before, right? The, there already was a fracturing of like the information and systems prior to this and the need to connect with people on a variety of devices and on a variety of software platforms. So it's really a larger security shift from like this wall garden approach, which is where like your physical building and your like virtual security perimeter were kind of one in the same, right? You had to have a really strong firewall. You had to go into the building and connect to the network and get to the resources. Well, that already was changing because most organizations were in kind of like a hybrid cloud on-prem model. Um, and there were some major security problems with this walled garden model in the first place because once an attacker got inside of it, they just kind of were in it and, and had, you know, free reign in some cases to, you know, with ransomware attacks that really shut down a whole organization or the like. And we needed to move to a model where it was more of a, the, the industry term, right, is zero trust. It's a little trendy, but there's truth to it, which is that we moved to a model where we have more of a security perimeter that extends primarily around our user identities, but our user identities and our devices and our whole kind of information domain, our, our software domain, how do we build visibility into all of the places where information is at? So we really have to look at, you know, user behavior, uh, device states, like are the, is this a trusted device? Is it, does it appear like it's compliant with our policies? Um, how do we really get our arms around all of the places that information lives and, and our users live 
and if they if we don't have platforms that give the users the capabilities they need, then we need to give them that, right? So rapidly adopting like a flexible and secure platform such as Microsoft 365 to enable them to do what they need to do without going rogue is so critical. You know, they need to be able to access the information and systems that they need from the devices that they have to be able to do so. But you want to be able to, as an organization, to enable that while also still feeling and, and knowing that you're protecting the organization and the information that's important. I like thinking about this, like when you have toddlers, like I'm a new mom, I've got a six month old, but like when you have toddlers, you're able to keep them, you know, pretty safe in the walls of your house. Like you pretty much know what they're doing. But then when you have teenagers, Adam has teenagers, like you have to let them out of your house, right? And then the security becomes so different when they're out in the wild and making their own, making their own decisions. And so we talk about it like having a security first culture. And so um, your users are your first line of defense. So there's also security training that needs to be happening we say probably monthly with with your end users to protect against you know phishing attacks um social engineering attacks things like that um and making sure that you know security is a point in the conversation you know at every level of the organization security is kept in mind um whenever you're deploying you know anything from a technology perspective um obviously um but even um, keeping it in mind when other decisions are being made, you know, maybe it's, you know, HR decisions or things like that. So. So you, you mentioned security training, so I just kind of want to expand a little bit on that. So do you, do you have any other tips uh, for, for businesses who are trying to balance security as well as productivity in this, let's say, hybrid uh, setting? Adam. Uh <laughs> So on the topic of security training specifically, right, it's like, how do we, and Rebecca really kind of nailed it in terms of security mindset, and that's easier said than done. Um, it's generally better to try to have a positive um, effort around that rather than it being punitive, but utilizing a platform for phishing testing, phish testing, we, we know that the user identity is really kind of the primary attack vector right now. And what that means simply is that people's user accounts are getting taken over, right? Meaning that their credentials are getting out there somehow, right? So that they're they're either falling for some sort of con scam kind of email or um, link where it looks like they need to put in their username and password and they do so and now the attacker has their information. So first I'd be, uh, I'd be uh, irresponsible not to mention that multi-factor authentication is so critical in adopting a strong like user identity protection model and utilizing platforms that really allow you to make sure that when your users are accessing something it's truly them and not somebody you know wearing their mask so to speak but um making sure that that you're building training around users as to what the threats are and pairing that with testing right so that you're letting users know hey you're going to be getting these fish test emails and um, we can even gamify that to some degree, build a good program around it so that maybe people are rewarded, right? If everybody gets it right, I know of one recently where if everybody gets it right, they would get a Starbucks gift card, right? Everybody would get like a Starbucks gift card. And um, it, unfortunately that didn't work out because it was a pretty tough one, but it it's better than saying like, well, if you get it wrong, you're getting written up. But I know in certain environments, you know, they start to go that direction, but it, um, Adopting a good training and um, fish test platform is really kind of primary and then making sure that you have the organizational 
buy-in because it's one thing to just for IT to adopt a training platform and say, here, you now have to take this course. Well, most users are going to ignore that. If that's coming from the IT department, the reality of the matter is your actual participation rate is going to be really low, right? So the leadership in the organization, the managers in the organization need to be bought into this as an important thing and help um, enforce that, right? Help make it a priority. And it really it ties into a larger conversation around training and having a platform for that capability of having training courses and having visibility into whether people are doing those things. And if you're if you have a good program around that, then adopting security into that this is a no brainer too. Yeah, so to summarize, I would say um, training, testing, and then have MFA set up. Great first three steps. <laughs> Plus the reward, reward model uh, and a free coffee. Uh -huh. A free coffee place. always works. I'll <laughs> take one. Yep. It's pretty simple. People people like uh, gifts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll actually run this idea past our boss. I think uh, it's it's a really great one, and we do love coffee. So <laughs> why not? Um, cool. So I I kind of want to continue talking about security, um, but I think we should keep that for maybe the podcast uh, part two. Um, but before that, um. Obviously, we're, we're talking on Microsoft Teams. This is all happening through Teams. And I kind of want to know maybe how you felt that Teams has changed um, businesses during the pandemic and what what kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say that Teams has been the breakout star because I've said it quite a lot, but <laughs> because it is. It is. It is. Um, but yeah, how do you, you know, how how has Teams kind of changed the way uh, companies work? And, you know, what are your top tips, uh, you know, on using Teams? And what do you, how do you, I don't know, uh, talk about Teams to, to to businesses who haven't heard yet about about it? Yeah, it's still amazing to me that businesses haven't heard about Teams, right? Because it's like we are in it so often and so much. And yep. we were just talking, um, we um, rolled out, Microsoft Yammer um, a few years ago and then um, and had Skype for Business as our chat platform. And um, when Teams came out, we started with a small group of us and then um, a larger group. We rolled it out to the whole company maybe a year before the pandemic started. And so, you know, like most companies, we started with chat and, and the meeting functionality. Um, some people were still using Zoom. And so it was it was a transition for us, just like everyone. But that's um, that's how we see a lot of companies adopting it is, is first with chat and with meetings. Um, but it gets really powerful when you start to use it as, you know, a base of operations, a collaboration tool, a space where you can actually get work done. And so it's been very cool to watch um, different companies adopt it and then figure out how to customize it to meet their specific needs because it is absolutely not a one size fits all approach. Um, so figuring out, okay, what, what, what do we need for channels here and what kind of type of apps can we, can we integrate and, you know, where do we store a file now? And these things we, it's so interesting. Like we had to do that internally as well as help our customers do it as well. So I would say it's been a drastic approach and we were just looking actually at our, our team's utilization and mm -hmm. I don't know, Adam, can you just say we've got an organization of around 75 80 employees and how many how many chat me messages have we sent this month yeah like 
you know, we have a little bit of an impact from spring break, but uh, just in the last 30 days, you know, we've done about 85,000 chat messages. Um, we're looking at the stats too with things like uh, the actual one-on-one -on -one calls. So just between two participants, uh, we're over a thousand calls within that 30-day time period. Um, over 160,000 minutes of audio time, um, about almost 150,000 minutes of video time. Uh, screen sharing, that was another big one that kind of surprised me. It was like 30,000 minutes of screen sharing. So it's it's uh, a lot more usage than what I would have guessed initially, but I knew it was predominant. And it kind of gets back to that idea of like that virtual building, right? What What is the space that your, your business conducts within? And in, I'd say Teams has really been a, a foundational, like a big segment of that virtual work site. It lives in Microsoft Teams now at this point. Um, and that, that extends beyond even just us doing our work, but also our employee engagement and mm -hmm. um, our social engagement and how do we build a platform for cultural like spread and cultural like connection between people. And Teams has really been key for that as well. Oh yeah, that's been, it's been huge. And here at Worksited, we love culture and we talk about it often. And um, when we were back in the office, we had potlucks and happy hours and team lunches and you know, so many things where we are physically together, chats around the office, the water cooler chat. So that's also been very interesting to see how we can move that online. Just yesterday we were doing team bingo where we had, um, you know, each of us had our own little bingo sheet and our, um, our HR team members were calling out the numbers and it gets heated and the winner got a chicken pot pie. I don't know. That was a little random, but <laughs> just ways that you can translate some of that connection and, um, yeah, be able to figure out how people connect as well, because that's an important part about work is um, a lot of people, it's it's a primary source of connection outside of the home. So the pandemic could be really, really isolating. So how do you make sure that people are also still um, connecting and feeling valued and feeling a part of something? So that's something that Microsoft Teams could help us do as well. And um, so we've done virtual happy hours, virtual coffee dates, um, set up cross-team collaboration too, so that um, it's not typical that maybe someone from Adam's team and myself would get together, but in this cross-team collaboration, we we chat and I find out that, you know, Royce on his team loves to play the drums and Chris on his team, you know, loves to ride bikes. And so we can chat about this stuff that isn't necessarily related to a project that we're working on, but helps us, you know, feel connected to each other and to the organization. So, yeah, I think you have to be intentional about that. That was one of the big yeah. shifts was the fact that you know, a lot of organizational culture spread or like those, as you mentioned, just those kind of impromptu, you know, hallway conversations um, and connections between coworkers, you really have to make an effort to make those things happen, right? They're, they're gonna be a little less organic. So as an organization, being intentional and creating those opportunities is really key. And having like one platform that everybody, that's already kind of the default no brainer, like of course that's gonna be in teams for a lot of those things. Um, that, that was really kind of the big thing that was, I think, even hard for people to understand when they weren't using Teams already, was realizing that they had a problem that Teams could solve. And Teams can create, you know, its own problems. It's a, it's a whole other platform, right? A whole other place for communication to happen in. Um, and I think one of, when, you, when you ask the question of how do you help organizations to understand, like, the benefit, uh, that was one where... I think some people saw it as like, well, it just seems like another place that I have to look at. I already have my email, I have my texts, I have my phone calls, I have you know the software that I use. Why do we need another place to go? And it was more, a little more complex than that because email 
for most people anyway, email was kind of a mess, right? There's a, a mix of external and internal communication, important communication and casual communication. Um, and the dreaded reply all on a company email. Exactly. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I, Gives me I, shivers. <laughs> I kind of have to laugh because we used to have this, this uh, culture around where somebody would send out an, an all staff or all to, to our technical team uh, email and they would say something that would just trigger something and somebody would send kind of like a joke reply. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's 40 messages long and people are sending like memes and and things on it. And inevitably there'd be a couple of people that were kind of like, come on, guys, like I'm trying to get work done here. You know, like take me off this. Is this really how we should do this? And so now with teams, right, there's literally channels and group chat and things. It's it's a lot easier to get the communication that you need to that's important and then ignore the stuff that isn't until you're ready to look at it and so that that's kind of the the pitch in a way is that it is a platform for creating more delineation between those different types of communication rather than it all coming into a big you know inbox single queue um and and really i think there tends to be a shift where email really focuses on on primarily external communication and the majority of internal communication moves to teams and it enables a lot easier, more casual communication as well as like really important critical communication. So I, I think that's that's kind of the answer to the question of like, why do I adopt something else? It's because it can actually make your life better and give your users and you uh, new avenues and new ways of communicating effectively. So then the question uh, begs, I guess, is Microsoft Teams essential to hybrid working? Uh, I think the short answer is yes. Uh, I think having a platform like Microsoft Teams, and it's fairly unique, right? Like if you look at the the space that's out there, um, Teams and Microsoft 365, it's fairly unique in, in terms of its integration and scope of capabilities. Um, so I think it is critical to have a platform that you choose that enables your users to have those capabilities, to have meetings, to have um collaboration like teams can enable so you you need to have more than just email and a, a file server and vpn to really keep your your organization together uh, and i think teams is a fantastic platform to do that and one thing to note on that we talked about uh, the intentionality that's necessary is that it's not something that you can just set and forget. Like you need people that are going to champion how to use it and how to use it well. I was just talking to one of our clients the other day and they said, we've got you know this group of four people that just chitter chatter on it all day. And so the people that are, um, you know, I don't wanna say work more, but <laughs> like get annoyed by that. And they're like, ah, it's just like, it's not necessary communication. So it takes intentionality as an organization to say like, this is the type of communication that goes in this channel. And, you know, here's where you need to go to find this information. And it's the only place to find it. So it's changing behavior around um, where do you find information? How do you get it? What's the appropriate way to interact with that communication? Um, and um, then holding people accountable to that. So for example, we've got a couple of different channels and we had to tell people like, hey, 
that's, you know, this is absolutely something that needs to be posted in Teams, but it's in the wrong channel. So let's move that over to maybe the social channel where people can interact with it and have fun, but keep this, you know, internal updates channel for something that, you know, is more specific to our clients or um, is more work focused. So we're happy to have both of those, but we need to create spaces that people understand and know how to interact with so that it doesn't just become noise and something that people, you know, check out from. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. And then one last question, I guess, for, drawing from my last question. Is hybrid working here to say? I hope so. You know, I, um, before the pandemic, was hoping to, to switch to working remotely like one or two days a week. And that was kind of a big ask. I was in conversations with it about my manager. And like I said earlier, I have a six-month-old baby. And so coming off of maternity leave, um, and being able to work remotely was a huge benefit to me as an employee. So I think as we look at employee retention and what employees are looking for, there are going to be some that want to be in the office, but there are going to be some now that can work for any company across the entire nation, like the um, or maybe the world. I know you guys are in London, but um, I think what's happening from an employee perspective is that the options are really broadening, um, and so people are going to go where um, they where they find the, the benefits that, that fit their lifestyle. And so me as a new mom, not having to commute, being able to see my baby over lunch is huge for me. And so I do just from an employee retention standpoint, but also like how we do work and seeing that people can be productive, maybe even more product, productive at home because they don't have as many distractions um, is absolutely here to stay. There are um, so many changes and people have shifted and, um, adopted new software and new technology that I, I don't think they're going to want to throw out the window anytime soon. Yeah, I would agree. I think hybrid work is here to stay. Um, I do think that organizations need to be mindful about um, balancing it because working from home is a blessing for some and a curse for others. Like some people can't stand it, right? Feeling like they're locked in and I'm kind of in the middle, right? Like I, I agree with Rebecca, I think, um, and, and for myself, but also looking at my team members, you know, I have some that uh, they, they wanna stay working remotely forever, right? It works great for them. They feel more productive. A lot of times eliminating a commute is a key part of that. But for others, it's painful. It's like, I want to interact with people in person. I feel like I'm missing something out of my life. So I think trying to find a balance of saying, hey, this is enabling new ways of working, new employees that we can bring into the organization, new ways of connecting and, and socializing and new ways of having employee engagement. And But it also has some downsides and we have to balance that and provide the opportunity for people as when possible, you know, to still be able to, to meet in person. But I think the reality is, is that, you know, if um, for organizations, who didn't have a good platform like Teams, it was probably a lot more painful and it was such an enabler uh, to be able to just still be able to connect as much as possible and have even these face-to-face -face interactions. I think there were people that were skeptical of really how important was video prior to this, right? And I think I think this has shown that video doesn't replace face-to-face, -face, but it is a lot better than just a plain phone call, right? Like it really had something substantial to be able to to see somebody and, and have this type of interaction. And so I think, um, yeah, I think it's here to stay, but it it's something that orgs have to really balance and make sure that they're, they're you know, providing as much of both worlds to people and, and have an effective bridge between those two worlds. 
Yeah, like we just keep talking about intentionality. So you've got to have somebody managing it, caring for it, and then um, providing opportunities to meet employees where they're at. So um, being able to be flexible and adaptable and, and provide different opportunities for employees is going to be huge because ultimately technology is not the end product in, in and of itself. We want technology to empower, um, yeah, to empower our employees. So you can have, you know, the most amazing technology setup, but if it's not helping your employees work better, um, it's, it's not worth it. So. Yeah. I, I think I like, um, kind of taking that concept of like the, the virtual building that you're creating, like the virtual organization and you have to have caretakers to Rebecca's point, right? You're kind of, we're kind of building it now, right? So the, for a lot of organizations, it didn't really exist or it was there, but it wasn't well-defined. And so we have to be really um, intentional around building that and defining the lines of that virtual organization that we're creating. Marvelous. Well, that was absolutely fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that. And I hope our listeners um, enjoyed the tips too, um, and we'll implement some of them. And there's such a larger conversation to be had around security as well, which I hope we can, um, we can have it maybe later uh, in as I said, part two. Um, for all the listeners uh, that are out there, um, if you want to know more about the base of operations, you can head over to the Works Cited uh, website and you can check out the webinar. Um, I hope it's, is it still, it's recorded. And so I think people can still, can still watch it, right? Or can read about it for sure. Yeah, we've got a white paper, Team Says the Base of Operations. We've got a ton on our blog, worksited.com slash blog. Um, our YouTube channel has a ton of awesome content as well. So we've got a lot out there and are here to help. Um, we have something called a power hour. So if you want to schedule an hour with one of our engineers to talk through um, how to use Teams, how to implement some security things, um, that's a, a great way to engage as well. Awesome. So Adam and Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was really, really great. So thanks for, yeah, for accepting. Thanks for having us, Roxy. Thank you.